I would say, pretty good pace through the book of Romans. Just as you're doing that, that passage in Genesis 15 is really a great umbrella for what we're going to look at in the next two weeks. It talks about the faith of Abraham, and then next week we're going to talk about the inheritance of Abraham. Very cool subjects, very cool passage. So let me read now. We're in Romans chapter 4, which talks about Abraham in probably the most detail, I think, that the New Testament deals with this character. This is the most detailed passage that looks at the life of Abraham and looks at his faith and looks at his life and his interaction with God and what Abraham has to say to you and me today. So let me read Romans chapter 1, uh, chapter 4, excuse me, starting in verse 1 down through verse 12. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? which means our great, 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 etc., grandfather. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness, just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. This is a quote from Psalm 32. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no sin. Is this blessing only then for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that had come by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that the righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. If you're not familiar with that subject, that may be a little bit disturbing to you. Why are we talking so much about that body part? Stay tuned and find out. This is an incredible passage. Um, what I want to point out this morning, just as we get going, is that one of the ways we use the Older Testament, which some of us have a hard time using, it's like an old-fashioned tool in our grandpa's toolbox, you know, like a, Brit a bit embrace or something, and we're like, I know how to use a drill, but what are these old tools? The Old Testament can be like that sometimes to us. How do I use this thing? It's, it's a big part of my Bible, but how do I use it? One of the ways we use it is actually to prove a lot of the theology that we learn in the Newer Testament. It's to prove it. In other words, how can we be sure when God says he will free us from the slavery to sin, how can we be sure he'll do that? Well, we look back and we see that God freed over a million Jews from Egypt and parted the Red Sea miraculously 
got them across, and then swallowed up the Egyptians as they pursued them. So in history, God proves that he loves his people and that he will set them free when he promises to do so. So many of the stories that we read about the older characters that maybe we have a hard time relating to culturally, those characters are living out the promises that we receive in the Bible all of these years later. They're living it out in flesh and blood. They're doing the stuff that now God promises is a reality for us as well. So that's sort of my, that, that's sort of the background for why Paul, when he's teaching us about how to be a Christian, he uses Old Testament stories and Old Testament characters, especially this one, again, which seems a little bit obscure if you're not familiar with the Old Testament. Why so much circumcision talk? It's not about health care. It's about a covenant with God. And, and this story of Abraham really sets the record straight for Christians about what God is really about and, and how can we know that we're in a pleasing relationship to God? How can we know that God favors us? How can we know we're in a good relationship with him? Abraham really sets the record straight. So let's look at his life briefly in these first three verses. What shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? Again, Abraham, we have to remember, was called out by God as an individual. He was called out as a single guy. He had no family or children at that time. He, he left with his nephew, Lot. And he didn't have children. He didn't have a great group. This was before the nation of Israel was formed. There was no such thing as the nation of Israel, uh, the Jewish nation, when Abraham was first called out. That's something we have to note about him. But he became, as we saw in that passage, a father of a nation. His descendants would, would fill the earth as such. So he became sort of the, the founder of an entire nation. So when, when Paul says he was our forefather according to the flesh, he means if you belong to Israel, you can trace your roots back to Abraham. And that was one of the sources of pride for the Jews. They were like, I come from Abraham. Abraham's my father. Okay, so that's what Paul's establishing here. What shall we say was gained by him according to the flesh? What kind of faith did he have? What did God give Abraham? Can we understand what God gave Abraham? It'd be key to know that. There's no Abraham museum display where you can go check out that manuscript of, you know, when Abraham wrote a journal. or There's no jar that Abraham kept of what God gave him. So we need to look back at the Old Testament and, and try to figure out what did God give Abraham? And is it the same thing that God gives us? Our last portion of scripture, we looked at the theological case, which means the sort of explaining God's character, the theological case for justification by faith, which means how do you get God to declare you righteous? How do you get with God in a relationship where he doesn't see your sin? That's an important question for every human being. How do I get before God and let him not see my sin? How do I hide it? How do I get God to call me righteous? The Bible says you put your trust in Jesus Christ. You put your trust in his blood atonement, the blood that washes your sin away. That's the only way that you can get God to look at you and not see your sin. 
That we saw in the previous chapter. Paul is teaching us the same lesson today, but he's doing it through a case study. He's doing it through a historic figure named Abraham. In other words, he's giving us living proof. Now Paul is saying, I'm not just telling you this theologically. I'm not just telling you this and saying, just trust me on it. He's saying, I'm going to give you the life of Abraham, and I'm going to prove to you that this is exactly the way it is with God, and it's always been this way with God. This is the other thing we have to remember is that God doesn't change. And that is such good news. And we're going to find out why it's really important that God doesn't change because we change all the time. We need somebody who doesn't change. And God gives us living proof that there's only one way to be saved. There's only one way to come before God and to have him see you as righteous. What kind of salvation did Abraham have? Was it a special kind of salvation only for Old Testament people? Did they live in a special category with God? That's the question he's asking. Can we read the Old Testament and understand that we have the very same thing that they have? How do we figure that out? Paul lays it out for us. So it's a great passage here. The first question we need to ask is, why should we care? Why should you care that you have the same faith as Abraham, this guy who apparently talked about circumcision a lot? Why do you need to have the same salvation as him? Or why would you care to ask the question? Well, because I would say that God made that first critical promise to Abraham. God made Abraham a very special promise that if you're a person who wants to relate to God, you need to look at that relationship and say, that looks pretty awesome. And I want the promise that God promised him to be for me too. That's why we should care. That's why Paul brings it up. What shall we say was gained by Abraham? Why should you care? Because it was Abraham that God appeared to. And God said, I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse those who curse you. I will make your name great. And I will make you a great nation. This is a promise that would expand through history. That he would be a great father of the faith. He would be great in the name of, um, in the sight of God. And that God would actually curse those who cursed him. They would have special protection from God. In you, all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's Genesis 12, 1 through 3. So the question is, does that apply to you or not? Is that something different than what God promises us? That's an important question. Quickly, Matthew chapter 3, I want to look at this idea of belonging to Abraham. Because this was very important, especially to the Jews. Do we belong to Abraham or not? Because if you don't belong to Abraham, then those promises don't count for you, right? I don't promise to feed and clothe all the children in the neighborhood. I just promise it to my kids. So it's important that my kids know who their dad is. Because they get the things that their dad promises. Now, there might be other dads that feed and clothe a little more fancy than me. But if you want to belong to God, you need to know who your father is. You need to know what kind of family you belong to. So Matthew 3, starting in verse 9, John the Baptist is talking to a bunch of Jewish people. And he says, do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. 
So the point there is, if you believe that you belong to Abraham and that all the promises of Abraham belong to you because you're in the family, you have the bloodline, there's bad news and good news. The bad news is, if you belong to Abraham according to your family line, the axe is laid at the root and is ready to cut down any tree. So members of Abraham's family could be cut out of the promise completely. The good news is that God can raise up children from Abraham from stones. If you want to belong to the promises of Abraham, if you want to receive the blessing of God, you can be a dead stone and God can make you a child. God can raise you to life and bring you into the family and welcome you into the promise. You don't have to have a special family. You don't have to have a special background. You don't have to have good parents. You can be a dead stone and Christ can make you a child of Abraham, but more importantly of God. He can raise up from these stones children for Abraham. So new children can come in and old children who think that they have it made and that don't really need to follow, they'll be cast out. The family is open. It's open to everybody. And so the, the story of Abraham here is aimed at the question, well, okay, theologically you say that you're saved by faith. But if you want to talk about Abraham, we know that he had to do something. Yeah, God gave him salvation, and maybe it was through faith, but Abraham also had to be circumcised. If you don't know what that is, ask your parents or look, don't look it up, but find someone you trust to talk about that. He had to be circumcised in order to be saved, right? That was the thing that God said, you got to do this if you want to be my child. If you want to be saved, you have to get this thing done. Probably a lot of us believe that about Abraham, right? Because he's sort of, he's Old Testament. So in the Old Testament, they had to do things to be saved. Paul is saying, hold the phone. Check the text one more time. I thought Abraham had to do something to be saved. Yes, he believed God, but he also had to do something. So it's kind of faith plus works. I love what Paul says here because it so resonates with me as a preacher. This is the great preacher question. When you have a question about God, when you have a question about theology or doctrine or life, this is the question you should ask. Verse 3, first six words. For what does the scripture say? That's how you can know the answer. You've got to check your Bible. Don't think, well, what makes sense to me? Or, well, how do I feel about this question? Paul says, if you want to know something about God, you got to ask yourself, what does the scripture say? What does the text say? Check your Bible. That will give you a trustworthy answer. I love that. And by the way, that means that Paul says that the whole Old Testament is going to give you the word of God. It's going to tell you what God thinks. What does the scripture say? I just want to challenge you. Imagine you asked that question for everything in your life. Imagine you truly submitted everything in your life to that question. I think some of us think that we do that. I know myself included. I do that. I assume kind of, I trust myself. I think some of us trust ourselves too much and we need to say, what does the text say? What does the, what does the scripture say? What does God think about this situation? What does God think about my decision? What does God have to say to me in my life? What does the text say? So he says, if you, 
Look, we can argue about Abraham all day long till we're blue in the face, but the only opinion that matters is God. So let's check the text. I love that. It settles it. Genesis 15, 6, he quotes it. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. It's a very short passage. He says, if you want to know what saves Abraham, it's that he believed God. That's it. Abraham, you could put in the same situation as the thief on the cross who was dying, and with some of his final breaths, he leaned over to Jesus, and he said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. The thief, you could, trans, you could also put the thief's name in there. The thief believed in Christ, and it was counted to him as righteousness. That's all of us. You believe in God. You trust in God. You put your faith in Jesus Christ. You receive his forgiveness, and you're righteous. That's it. It settles it. There's nothing else you can do to add to your salvation or secure it. It's done. It's finished. So Abraham sets the record straight. From Genesis to Revelation, nobody is justified apart from faith. And so it goes on to talk about keeping the relationship straight. This is the second point in our outline. How do you keep the relationship straight before God? Because a lot of us are tempted, once we're saved, to try to keep the momentum of our salvation going by doing good works. We kind of want to keep reminding God that we're saved. Hey, God, don't forget me. I need to polish off my salvation a little bit more. I need to make sure it's still shiny and make sure it's still good. I need to fire it up one more time. And so we do good works. Your first job, when you show up for that first two weeks and you get a paycheck, you know, on the lunchroom with your name on it, and you're like, I can't believe this is mine. It feels a little bit like a gift because like no one's ever given me this much money before. I remember my first job. It was a terrible job and they didn't pay me enough, but I still loved saving that money. And I, I think I eventually bought my first car with it. It feels awesome to get a paycheck. Well, Paul says, think about that relationship. When you go into work and you work those first 40 hours, those 80 hours or maybe 20 hours and your boss writes you a check, he owes you. It's not a gift. You might, you know, when you get your first paycheck, you might want to go thank him, but really he owes you that money. And most of us are in a work relationship where we don't get paid until after we work the hours, right? I'm not getting paid last week for next week's work. I get paid at the end of my shift or at the end of my pay period. So my boss actually owes me that money. It's owed to me. It's not a favor. It's not a gift. It's what you deserve because you worked for it. Paul says, if you earn your salvation from God by doing what you do, then you make God your employer who owes you something. Your salvation becomes what you deserve. You come into the lunchroom at the end of the day and say, uh, God, check out my work hours. And Paul says, that's not the relationship we have with God. God does not owe us anything. Nothing. He does not owe us anything. No matter how much good stuff we do, it's never enough to earn the paycheck of salvation or an eternal paradise with God. Romans 3.24, we just looked at it a couple weeks ago. 3.24 says, we are justified as a gift. It's a gift. So it can't be from what we do. Otherwise, it's not a gift. It's what he owes us. 
Paul says, instead, you should regard your salvation the way David talks about it. David in Psalm 32 said, blessed is the one whose lawless deeds are forgiven. Blessed from God. You have received something from God and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord does not count his sin. In other words, if God looks at you and does not count your sin against you, you are mighty blessed. You are mighty blessed. You are a son of God. You have eternal salvation and assurance. If God looks at you and does not count your sin against you, you are blessed, as David said. You're not like an employee saying, yeah, it's, of course, that's what I get. I worked for it. Paul says that's the wrong relationship. We need to look at it like David did and say, God, I don't deserve this, but you're not counting my sin against me. Remember, David and Abraham were hundreds of years apart, but they understood the same thing. We are only justified by God as a gift, as a blessing. It's an inexpressibly precious gift. I would say a paycheck just doesn't quite elicit that from us, especially if we've been doing it for a while. I mean, if you're an adult and you know, have a responsibility, that paycheck, you don't really even notice it. It's in, it's out, the bills, the mortgage, the food. There's nothing really special about it. And if we treat our salvation like that, not very special. In, out, yeah, God, you know, owed me. I'm a Christian after all. I have been pretty good with going to church. I, I have been, you know, of course I'm saved. That's how we begin to treat God when we think that our works earn our salvation. We lose all of our gratitude. Have you ever met a new Christian and they're just so, they love God so much because they look at their sin and they look at the filth that God forgave. <laughs> look at it. It's gone. But some of us who've been walking in the church for a long time, we begin to say, well, yeah, of course I'm saved. I don't do many bad things anymore. We start to lose grat gratitude. We start to lose thankfulness. We don't sing quite as loud. We're not quite as happy. We're not quite as devoted. We're just kind of like, yeah, you know, it, it's sort of just a regular part of my life. now. It's part of the work rhythm. Paul says, you've got God wrong if that's your rhythm. You have no, not only do you have no thanksgiving toward God, but you also have no assurance. You know why? What if you run out of sick days and you can't show up for work? You know, what if your work performance drops off? What if the family gets sick and you can't make all of your hours? And the paycheck starts to reflect that, doesn't it? Your paycheck reflects your performance, at least in most jobs. No further comment. But when we treat salvation like something that God owes us because of our performance, we will begin to be fearful that God is going to remove it from us. And this goes back to what I said earlier. We change week to week. How good was your performance this past week? No hands, nothing, please. Mine wasn't that great. My salvation is not based on my performance last week. Neither is yours. And so if you think that God owes you something, when you're doing great, you'll feel great about it. When you're doing lousy, you will fear God in a bad way. You will lose your assurance. You will begin to wonder if God still loves you. But if you're reminded that your salvation is a gift, he gives it no matter what for those who have faith. 
That gives you the strength to carry on. It gives you the strength to look back up to God and to give thanks to his name and say, blessed am I for forgiving, for being forgiven of my sin. So friends, your assurance depends on this. Think like Abraham thought. When God tells you a promise, you say, I believe you. Your sins are washed away. I believe you. Now, that's the bottom line of this idea of gratitude and assurance and whether your relationship with God is in the right order. Let's check out this other detail that Paul brings out for us. See, the Jews might think, yeah, well, Jews are special because we got circumcised. We did the special thing. So the Gentiles may be received by faith, but, you know, we're faith plus the special stuff. We do the special stuff. Paul says, let's look very carefully at the text one more time. Was Abraham just, is it just the Jews who are justified by faith? Is it just the special religious people who are justified by faith? Just for those who get circumcised. For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. Verse 10, how then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he got circumcised? If you look at the verses in the text, Genesis chapter 15 is when God said, I will give you a son. Abraham said, check, I believe you. It says that he believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Do you know when the covenant of circumcision came? Two chapters later. Genesis chapter 17. God declared Abraham righteous while he was still uncut. He was just like a Gentile. He was just like a pagan in his appearance. There was nothing special separating Abraham when God declared him righteous. Friends, there is nothing that you have to do first to get God to justify you. I said this a couple weeks ago. Salvation with God is as near to you as your next breath. There's no baptismal rite. There's no confession you have to do. There's no class you have to take. There is no special thing you have to do before God declares you righteous by faith. Because Abraham got circumcised after. The circumcision was a seal. It was a sign. It was something that pointed to the real salvation. So if you're a Jew, your circumcision looks back on the faith that Abraham had. And if you're a Gentile, you realize Abraham wasn't circumcised when God declared him righteous. So you can be declared righteous too. That's what the story of Abraham tells us. That Abraham is the father of everybody who believes both the Jew whose circumcision looks back on the faith and for the Gentile who never got circumcised. So who gets to be a child of God? Who gets to receive the promise from God? If you can hear the word of God today, it's you. There's no special class. He's the father of everybody who believes. Verse 12 says, it was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised. Circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. My final heading is to walk in Abraham's footsteps. If you look at Genesis chapter 17, God commanded Abraham to get circumcised, and it says that he did it on the same day. So Abraham didn't waste any time. He was declared righteous, all right, but that did not slow him down in obeying God. He didn't say, well, you know, I am justified by, by faith, God. You know that, right? You know, don't ask me to do anything because that would be like confusing the issue. No, he got right to it. He said, God, what do you want from me? What can I do? How can I respond to my salvation in obedience? It happened the same day. Now check this out. 
it would make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of faith. This is so critical. If you haven't listened to this point, listen for the next 10 minutes. Paul's phrasing is so key here. Who walk in the footsteps of faith. Faith is not an academic discussion. It's not a subject just for thinking about and writing about and delighting in. Faith is footsteps. Faith is life. Faith is action. Abraham proved that more than anybody. He was justified totally by faith. But Abraham's journey, we have to remember, began in Genesis 15 when God said, I brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans. I called you out. I said, Abraham, come. And he left his family. He left everything he knew to follow the voice of God. That's faith. He didn't just say, well, God, spiritually, I'll sort of separate myself from this community. And, you know, but I'll just sort of still live here. No, God said, come out of them and I will make you a nation. When he and, and Lot were traveling, he gave Lot the choice land, which ended up belonging to Sodom and Gomorrah, which was later destroyed. Abraham kept for himself a plot of land for a righteous purpose. When God promised to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham reached out and interceded for them. He prayed for them. He said, don't destroy the righteous with the wicked. He interceded for God. Faith was always in action for Abraham. He pleaded for the preservation. He believed God's word and he circumcised his son on the day he was asked. He even took that one precious son up onto a mountain and was willing to sacrifice him to God's word. His faith was always in action. He made mistakes. He messed up all the time. There's a heading in your Bible that says Abraham's treachery. He made a bunch of mistakes. He lied. He was sinful. In so many ways, he was faithless even at times. But God was with him. God never left him. God established him. I want to look very quickly at this passage, Hebrews 11, starting in verse 8. It says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place where he was to receive an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Do you wonder what it would mean to follow Christ? But you just don't know where he'll bring you? You don't know where your life will go. And you say, I don't want to get off this boat. I don't, I don't want to go that. The faith of Abraham says, God, wherever you take me is a good place. By faith, he went into live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and, Abe, and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to a city that had its foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Abraham is a man of faith, whose boots were constantly moving. They were strapped in tight. His faith was not just somewhere hidden in his heart. It was not detached from the culture or world that he lived in. His faith was active. Faith is not merely receiving Jesus Christ and saying, oh, good, I'm, you know, that's it. Faith goes on day in, day out, trusting in God and responding to his commands. What's the point I'm telling you, friends? That faith will be costly. You will run up against people in situations where your faith in Christ will cost you something. It's an act of following and obeying. It's never a smooth journey. It's often painful. But we're going to look at next week. Faith actually 
has a promise. It has an inheritance. It has a city. It has something that you're going to get at the end of it with all the people of God. Do you want to inherit Abraham's blessing? Abraham's blessing? Then walk the walk. Faith is not something you keep in a trophy case or like a lucky penny that you find up and you put in your pocket or your wallet and then you're done. Faith is not something we keep behind glass that says break glass in case of emergency. When things get really bad, then I'll, well, then my faith is really important to me. No, our faith calls us into the wild. Our faith calls us out of this world system and calls us to follow, to pick up our cross and to move out and away from the sin that enslaved us and into the freedom and the kingdom that Jesus Christ bought, becoming fit for all of good work, all of God's works that he prepared for us. There is no faith that just sits around waiting for a reward. Our inheritance is the crown of faith. We're going to talk about the inheritance next week. Our inheritance is the crown of faith, the reward for endurance. And all of those who are walking in faith are not doing so in some, you know, nebulous, cloudy, ambiguous way, but we are walking in the promise and reward of Abraham's first promise. A great nation, a great reward, a people that God blesses. Here's the other crazy thing. You might not see all that in your lifetime. Hebrews 11 goes on to say, all of these great people, they died without seeing their reward. They died without seeing the promise. And friends, you may too. But that's not how we judge God. We judge God on his word, not on our experience. And so just as we conclude, I want to turn the question in the first verse of our passage. I want to turn that back on you. What shall we say about the faith that you found? What shall we say was gained by Abraham? What shall we say was gained by you? What did you gain when you called upon Christ? Is it the kind of faith that's like Abraham's? that believes in God and trusts in him and walks the footsteps of faith, check your faith today and causes us to walk in his ways. Here's an easy way to take the Abraham test this morning. Are there things that I know God is calling me to? Are there things that I know are right in the eyes of God? that I know to be his desire, that I know to be his will from his revelation and in alignment with his character, that I am positioned to obey, but I'm not. That's how you take the Abraham test. Are there things that God's calling me to that I know that I'm to obey, but I'm not? That's the Abraham test. Are you a child of Abraham or not? God is able to to raise up from these stones children for Abraham this morning. He is also able with the ax at the root to cut down any tree that does not bear good fruit. So ask yourself, what will be the cost? What will my friends think of me? What will my employer or the newspaper think of me? What will the other pastors think of me? Faith says, what did God say? Do I believe him? Am I walking in that? Do you have the faith of Abraham this morning? It's available to you. It's as close as your next breath. And are you walking the footsteps of faith, which trust in God on a daily basis? If this is new to you or you want to develop this in your life, there are people who will help you and walk with you in this journey. You do not have to do it alone. Look at this room. We're not in isolation here. We are the church and we can help each other. So praise God for that. Let me close in prayer and we'll close uh, with one more hymn.